Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by my co-host Andrew Bartram. Hello Andrew. Hello Simon and I'm really pleased to be here. Good, good. And what have you been, what have you been up to in the last two weeks? I thought you were going to say in the last half an hour because I'm sure the <laughs> listeners wouldn't want to hear what I've just been cleaning up off the hallway floor. No, no, you've, you've had a bit of a moment, haven't you? Yes, poor well, your little dog. has. Poor little, poor little, let's just say the poor little dog had a, had a, um, a messy tummy, a, a sensitive tummy, I think that's probably the polite way of saying it. I think she'd been uh, drinking too much old peculiar while I've been out. I'll have to go and check to see if my bottles of beer have been, uh, uh, have been opened while I've been away. Last two weeks I've been to Cornwall, but did have we spoken about that? I don't know, I lose track of time. No, I've been no, to Cornwall I and I took my large format camera with me and because I have a very forgiving wife, she um, sat on a little bench somewhere and had some sandwiches and watched some Cornish chuffs. There you go. Do you know what a Cornish chuff is? Is it a bird? Never heard of it. It is a bird. Yeah, a little black bird with a slightly curved orange or red beak and they're very rare apparently. But she saw some. So I was standing there on the north coast of Cornwall by one of Poldark's uh, tin mine winding sheds or something. And it's perched dramatically on the edge of the cliff overlooking the Atlantic, I guess it is. And and I've got my large format camera set up and I've got my 6x17 back on there. And I'm just waiting for all these people to get out of the way and but i'm there for maybe three quarters of an hour and i have to have some wonderful conversations with people as they as they walk past there was a there was a gentleman who i chatted to with a Leica, and he works he was in his 60s and he works in a film lab in london and he told me that there is they're busier than they've ever been developing films That's and uh, and he has a large format camera which he uh, doesn't use anymore so i told him to listen to the large format photography podcast to um uh, and that we're leading the way with the large format revival that's what i told him yeah <laughs> and when when people eventually moved i took some uh, i took some pictures both with fp4 which is my usual stock and uh, on sheet film and also on roll film so i'm really super excited to see how they come out but then a, a couple of days later, we went to another sort of industrial area in Cornwall, and more uh, tin mines. And again, I, the light was just lovely. It was picking up the side of this chimney. And I have to say it, but this family of Germans went down there. Okay? And they were there for ages and ages and ages. And I just wanted to go down there and push them in the sea. <laughs> That's how annoying they were. And I'm sure it's not because they were Germans, but... And when this guy came up, I have to say, I did glare at him a bit and he looked at me and kind of glared back because I think I was looking at him with a, a look of antagonism in my eyes because the light had gone by then. Oh, well, there you go. And so there, well, you did ask anyway. So that's I, I, why. I did. Um, and I wasn't expecting that, actually, because uh, I thought we were going to talk, talk about uh, um, our attempts uh, to take part in the Negative Positives Film Photo Podcast uh, tag team, team challenge. tag team double exposure challenge or something on those lines whatever it's called this week um because i i took a photograph uh, or a couple of photographs because i was really careful this time because we failed first time i say we uh i 
a failed uh, first time um, and I pulled the stops out and took my Sinar this time instead of using my Meridian um, because I wanted something that I could trust in terms of accuracy and so on and so on. Um, so took the photographs, sent them to you and what happened next? Well, I, I, I keep hoping that I missed the deadline because I'm just, I'm, <laughs> this, this, this double exposure challenge is driving me to distraction. So this is the second time we've got this far. The first time, I don't know what happened, but I got a nice picture of the fens and there was nothing at all pottery related on the other side of the, uh, on, on the image in the background. So we tried again and Simon, you did quite rightly send me some rather ancient double dark slide, which I think was made by Noah as he, as he built his ark. Otherwise known as MPP and made of wood. Yeah. And so I got a, a, a an overcast day, but it was quite bright, and I found a nice little scene, a vertical scene. So you said, Andrew, just drop the dark slide in from the top, and then we don't have any confusion about whether it should be in from the right or the left. So I did that, and uh, then I realized I didn't have my meter with me, so I used the Sunny 16 rule <laughs> um, and experience and shot at uh, uh, eighth of a second at F32, I think, which may or may not be too small for purposes of diffraction but anyway i did that and i calculated that would be that would be okay on fp4 and developed them that in a fit of enthusiasm i developed them in my uh, uh, stearman tank takes four sheets of film i developed them alongside two sheets of fomapan 100 and did them both for eight and a half minutes in fp4 one plus one which is my normal sort of time for those sorts of films and I got two lovely portraits um, on the Foma pan. And with those two that you'd sent me, it was just a horrible, fogged, black mess. That's called Stoke-on-Trent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and I, in a way, I'm quite relieved that I got a horrible black mess because I, I, I was struggling to work out when I'd have time to go in the darkroom and make prints from these, uh, from these negatives. So now I think we're going to go third time lucky. I was rather hoping we'd be run out of time or no, or, or they'd tell us we were just banned from this stupid competition. Keep on giving us more time, don't they? <laughs> so uh, how hard can it be to do a double exposure challenge on large format film? Clearly with a couple of numpties like us, it's, it's really easy to cock it up. Yeah. We, we've got we've, the technically the easiest challenge and we're messing it up royally but, but there, we're yeah. making a right pig's ear of this yeah. challenge pig's so, ear are you familiar with that uh, term guest of ours uh, no i am not no. so <laughs> would you like me to introduce our guest Simon, I, I think that would be a very good idea because <laughs> our, our listeners are, are aware that there is a third person on this podcast lurking and, in the uh, background and we we and i've, I've got to yep. apologize to the person that we're about to uh, um, say hello to because uh, we we did say that oh we'll just have a little preamble uh, beforehand it'll probably take no more than five minutes and i think <laughs> we must go about eight or nine minutes into this chat now before uh, before this point so uh, i'll hand back over to you andrew and uh, if you'd like to introduce our, our mystery guest <laughs> Well, we're, we're very pleased this, uh, th for this show to be joined by uh, the, the wonderful Wayne Setzer, who's uh, very interactive on our Facebook group. I've been aware of his work, I think, only since he joined the Facebook group, because before that I wasn't really a part of any large format groups on 
Facebook, so I don't know whether Wayne was or not. But since he's been part of our group, he's putting some awfully good um, prints up there, scans of prints, and he has some awesome-looking wooden brass cameras. So anyone with an awesome-looking wooden brass camera, and he has a beard, and he's over 50, so he must qualify to come on the Large Format Photography Podcast. So welcome, Wayne. And I have a floppy hat, too. Yeah. Oh, glad to be here. Do you? <laughs> and whereabouts in the world are you, Wayne? Oh, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, my wife and I live on 50 rather secluded acres. Um, wow. Somewhere kind of between Knoxville, Tennessee and Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, okay. So it, a couple of horses and... 50 acres, That's that sounds a lot. Yeah. Is it Keeps just, me busy. <laughs> is it just horses you have on there or do you... Uh, right now, just a couple of horses, yeah. But uh, I need to get out there and put some more fences up and get some cattle too. Okay. Well, Wayne, that's I'm, once my knee gets better. <laughs> yeah. So you've you've had it. You've got a new knee, so you're all bionic now. Yeah. That's good. That's right. So we hope that you're up and running again soon. Is it? Um, been, I'm getting there. Is it been damaged by carrying all this large format gear around for so many years? Oh, I have no idea. It's been giving me problems on and off for years and years. But uh, Well, we're pleased that you're up and running. It's getting better. I actually got to go out uh, last week and uh, take some pictures for the first time in a month and a half. So Excellent. I'm doing good. Well, Wayne, we normally, it, it's fairly predictable, the next question, really. But I think in your case, in your case, you, you look to have a, a really fascinating backstory and you know, just the you, the cameras you're using, your darkroom mm-hmm. work, how you came to this position. I yeah. do know we spoke offline about a previous uh, life where you used to repair cameras as well. So, yeah. how did you? Uh-huh. What what brought you to this pivotal moment of appearing on this show <laughs> with me and Simon Foster? I wonder about that myself. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it all started. Uh, when was it? Back in high school. Uh, 75, I think it was, when I first got interested in photography. Not because the school had a darkroom or photography class or anything, but because a friend of mine's brother was a photographer for the local paper. And uh, over at his house one day, I saw one of his prints. It was a local church uh, framed in flowering dogwood blossoms, really beautiful. And that just fascinated me. So I asked him about it. And next thing I know, he was with me on his darkroom. We were having a quick little lesson in printing. And that just set the hook. I went out and found myself a little Pentax Spotmatic and some used darkroom gear and 100 feet of Tri-X and thought myself photography. And I knew I wanted to get into photography in some aspect, but I knew my limitations at the time. And I'd always been interested in how things work. So I did some research, and I ended up going out to a place in Colorado, National Camera, learned how to repair cameras. Uh, came back to local cameras for a couple of years before opening my own shop. And that lasted about almost 20 years uh, until I saw digital coming on the scene and knew it was going to put me out of business in a couple of years because the cameras basically were not repairable by anyone but the manufacturer. So I uh, decided to close the shop and made the questionable decision to pursue a career in uh, education. 
Right. Went back to school, got a degree in uh, secondary education mathematics, mm-hmm. and spent the next 13 years or so uh, trying to teach high school kids who knew they didn't need it uh, geometry. Oh, you're the perfect guy. Finally guess. admitted defeat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> finally admitted defeat at early retirement. And uh, that was a couple of years ago, working part time at a local community college now, helping math students and trying to find the time to go out and shoot. So, folks, we, we just lost Wayne there for a little bit, so we do apologize for the uh, bad connection, but we have him back now, and he's sounding, uh, he's sounding much better. So, um, Wayne, we were talking to you about your life story, and you were, you were telling us that you were running a repair shop at one point. So I was going yeah. to just ask you um, a bit more about that and, and okay. what, sort of, what sort of cameras you had in, and uh, was it uh, were, were any large format stuff? Uh, very little, actually. Uh, it was mostly consumer stuff. Uh, a few mm-hmm. professionals used me. Some uh, did a lot of Hasselblad and Mamiya RB work for a few local professionals, but uh, an occasional large format lens, but uh, very little, actually. I suppose there's not that much to go wrong, is there, on a large format camera? Not really, no. Just uh, sticky shutters. Um, uh, that's about it. <laughs> so, Wayne, when did you make your transition to large format photography? Uh, I was trying to actually think about that the other day, and best I can recall, um, when I was working at that local camera shop, um, I think I got interested, it was probably around 78, 79 or so, probably 78-ish, with, among all things, it wasn't really a large format camera, it was a a two and a quarter, three and a quarter Galvin monorail flimsy little thing, but it would take uh, roll film backs, and it gave me movements like a real camera. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that just whet the appetite, and then from there I moved up to another little lightweight, uh, it was a Gowland pocket view, a little bit bigger, but still real flimsy, and then a few, a few other cameras, some monorails, crown graphic and whatnot, and I saw each one of them had their limitations for what I wanted to do, so I finally sat down and decided what I wanted a camera for and what features it had to have. And it came down to uh, my 4x5 Wisner technical field camera, which I've been happily using for uh, 35-plus years now. So I I think it would be really interesting for new listeners or or people getting into large-format photography who are struggling with those questions and trying to work out what sort of camera they want. And we've touched on this in shows before but it's mm-hmm. always it's always good to get a new angle from it from a guest on the show so you said yeah. that you went through this process of of asking yourself what you wanted from a from a camera so yeah. mm-hmm. do you want to perhaps share that little um thought process with us uh best i can remember yeah um unfortunately the only way to really do that is to use a bunch of other cameras mm. and and like i did you identify their weaknesses you know, based on what you want to photograph. Which was what? What um, did you? What were you homing in on at that point? Was it the landscape? At, at, yeah, landscape, uh, especially waterfalls. I loved doing waterfalls at the time. Yeah. And uh, and of course, I found right away the the monorails were just too heavy, too bulky. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did offer all the movements I needed. Uh, and then I went to the other extreme for a while with a little uh, crown graphic that I'd remove the range finder from and lightened up to make it as you know small and light as possible. So uh, that was good, but I saw it's, it's the movements that it lacked, even after some modifications to it. 
Well, that, has, so that has a reasonable set of movements, does it? Or certainly on the front, anyway. Only on, yeah, you have, uh, if I remember right, we have what, uh, front forward tilt, no, front back tilt. Uh, you can drop the bed to get forward mm-hmm. tilt. And then you have rise uh, and shift, but no yeah. swings. Okay. And then no back movements. Yeah. So, so it had, it had a lot of limitations. So, uh, you know, I kind of took the best of both. I wanted something, you know, compact like the crown, but with movements, including, uh, you know, the full front movements, rise, fall, shift, swing. And I really wanted some back movements that I really liked on the monorails. What did you uh, like especially. about the? What did you like about the back movements? What dimension uh, did that add to your the, photography? Yeah, the, the, especially the back tilt is yeah. what I was after. Um, and swing is is nice also. Um, can you can you share with our again with our new listeners the mm-hmm. the benefits of those back movements? Uh, well, the, the front end back movements are kind of interrelated, and here we're getting into that shine shine plug. Well, whatever you're, it is, principle. Yes. Well, you're a geometry, you're a maths and geometry teacher. So That's you've right. Got, you've got no excuse for not answering this question. Yeah. <laughs> I need my smart board here where I can draw you a picture, though. But uh, <laughs> but uh, bo- both front and back movements will affect your plane of focus. Okay. So if it comes just down to your plane of focus, you don't really need the back movements. Hmm. But back movements also control image shape. Uh, so you can keep uh, straight lines, you know, vertical lines, vertical and horizontal, horizontal. Um, if you use the back to adjust your plane of focus, it can also add a little bit of distortion to the image. And which I like for making, landscape photography. Making close things a bit more dominant, is that? Exactly, exactly. It makes it a little more prominent foregrounds, adds a little distortion to it that way as well as doing the focus. And another less known effect is if you're using the back tilts and swings, the film stays directly behind the lens, if that makes sense. If you tilt the lens, the lens is now projecting an image Mm. Not straight back at the film. Imagine mm-hmm. a you know, cone coming back from the lens. Yep. And when everything is centered, your your film is right there in the center of that cone, the best part, where everything's good and sharp. But as soon as you add that tilt to it, you're getting out towards the edge of that image circle. And unless you have a lens with a nice big image circle, you're going to start getting vignetting, uh, loss of sharpness, darkness around the edges of it. So using that back movement whenever you can lets you use that best part of the image. I I have back movements on my Toyo forty five field mm-hmm. camera. And yeah. I um I, I use them very infrequently, so I'm I'm mm-hmm. really intrigued. I mean I, I do I was aware that if I use the tilt I can make things appear bigger, but I'd never considered that yeah. that um you know what you're talking about there. Yeah, the, the it's really overlooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. that's, that's, uh, yeah, and unless you're doing architecture uh, where you need, you know, to keep everything parallel. Um, yeah, so the thing with rise and fall, same thing. If we start rising or, or dropping the lens or shifting it, you're getting towards the edge of the image circle too. But if you're primarily concerned with a landscape where you just want, you know, front to back focus, um, you can get by with, uh, you know, 
lenses with less covering power. Yeah. Because you don't need to get out towards the edge like that. On, um, with regard focusing, uh, this is not mm -hmm. really, s particularly with using front tilt, this is something, mm -hmm. I, I think we've sort of touched on this in various podcasts, but yeah. um, I, was, I was reading something recently and, and it made me question what I, what I do, and I'd be interested to, to hear what, what, what you think, Wayne. So when sure. I started off on a, with a monorail camera, it was a Sinar F, mm -hmm. which I then added, very, which I thought was a good idea to make it into something more chunky, so it turned into a Sinar P, which yeah. was way way heavy and far more complicated uh -huh. <laughs> but it um it had um it had weird um s swings to it something to do with um there was a terminology that Sinai uses which is supposed oh, to yeah. make, um which is supposed to make life easy for you but it, it just blew my mind i was i, I clearly yeah. wasn't clever enough to get to, to get to grips with the name will come back the, the term will come back to me in a minute yeah, but I know what you're talking about, but I forget the term too. Yes, yeah. it, it's uh, it's called something. It's, it'll come back to me anyway. So yeah. when I'm, I think because when I'm when I'm out in the field, if I'm just doing a straight landscape and there's no mm -hmm. there's no real um, items in the landscape poking up through the the picture from foreground to background. So I'm I'm shooting in an area of the mm -hmm. country called the, the Fens, and and they're, and they're flat, quite frankly. Yeah. And occasionally mm -hmm. you'll see a tree or a telegraph pole. Yeah, but if I'm just shooting from, uh, say, straight down a, a drainage ditch, uh, which is called a drain, uh, is called a drain, uh, and there might that? be there might be some reeds floating around, uh, waving around in in the foreground, and then in the uh -huh. in the very distance there'll be some farm buildings, and and I'm looking to get everything sharp. So I just kind of know that um, mm -hmm. with a, I know roughly the amount of front tilt to get forward mm -hmm. and back in in focus, but my normal my normal thing to do would be to um, uh, focus on the uh, uh, bottom of the scene, so it's the top of the image, just using mm -hmm. backwards and forwards move, yeah. movement on the front standard, and then tilt to get the distance in focus. Now, I read somewhere that that's a good practice for monorail, using monorails, but actually th this article I was reading suggested that um, you focus on the you focus on the um, distant object first, and then tilt to get the near part in focus. Does, uh -huh. that, does that make any sense to you? Or? It it really depends on what your camera does. Yeah. Uh, now that's one thing I liked about my my Wisner that I have here. It has a unique feature among field cameras, and that's a, a geared rear axis tilt. Uh, most of the cameras tilt at the base. Base. Yeah. So yours is tilting yeah. around. The around a, uh, yeah, around the actually, it's about a third of the way from the top, mm -hmm. which is where the foreground's going to be. Yeah. So yeah. basically, when you turn that knob to shift, what's happening is the the bottom of the of the film is going in. Yep. So I focus on the foreground, and then I use that base tilt to bring the background, or sorry, the uh, yeah, the background into focus. But if you have a base tilt camera, uh, which is what mine is. Yeah, the the top of the film is going to move a lot more than the bottom of the film. Yeah. So you're focusing on the background and then tilting the camera back to bring that foreground into focus. Using back movements, yeah, cuz I'm I, yeah. so I'm going to have to I'm going to have to play around with using back. Yeah. 
that's if you're using a base tilt. You know, you know monorails yeah. normally have uh, an axis tilt around the center of the lens or thereabouts. Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. But it blew my mind this Sinar camera, and it ended up being far too, uh, yeah, far too complicated. But th- this leads us on to this, um, this, mm-hmm. this business. So, new new listeners, if you're if you're getting into large format photography, you will probably be aware that the one of the one of the best reasons for moving into large format photography is for these camera movements that Wayne has just been talking about. So mm-hmm. with, with a traditional camera, uh, well, maybe Wayne, you ought to explain it because you're a, you're a math teacher. Explain, <laughs> explain the, explain the ex, and geometry expert. Explain yeah. the difference between, between um, uh, the different focusing planes with a normal camera with no movements at all and, and okay. quite how we can manipulate that and, the, and also some of the problems you come across, and I've kind of hinted at that with things yeah. poking up through the landscape yeah. Uh, yeah. With, with, uh, with movements. Okay. Well, with, with a traditional camera, uh, everything is fixed. Uh, the lens and film are parallel to each other, which means your plane of focus is going to be parallel to those two things. Yep. Okay. Now, with all of these fancy tilts and swings you have in a view camera, it lets you change the relationship between those three different planes. And it may help to, if you can visualize uh, a, a plane, a large two-dimensional sheet running through the film all around the camera and the same running through the lens. Now, normally they're at neutral. Everything's going to be parallel to each other. So a third sheet is going to be out there in front of you somewhere, also parallel to those two. Now, I'm using my hands to explain this, so watch so carefully. This, 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 third, this third sheet is effectively your point of your, your, your point plane of focus. focus. Your plane of focus, yeah. Yeah, which, which should be something parallel to the yeah. film and the lens. I'm, I'm actually waving my hand now in front of my Okay, <laughs> Okay, you understand that. So everybody listening, if you just wave your hands in front of you, that's yeah. in an upright it all makes sense manner, then. Then, then, then that, that's it. What more do you yeah. need to know? Just wave your hand. So I'm waving okay. mine up and down upright. That's my plane of focus. Yeah. Okay. So, so you, you uh, visualize those. Look at your camera. Visualize those planes running straight through the camera. Look at your subject. Uh, imagine what it is you want in focus. What's that foreground object you want in focus? What's that background object you want in focus? And then take that big old sheet of paper and tilt it until it's running through those two objects. And here's what got to use your imagination. Uh, that plane should run underneath your camera somewhere. Yes. If you follow it down far enough, right? Yep. Now, if all you're concerned with is focus, doesn't matter front or back. Just adjust either the front forward a little bit so it brings its plane back down where it intersects along the same line. Because from geometry, we all know that planes intersect each other in a line. <laughs> And as soon as those three planes intersect along the same line, that's your so, new plane of focus. So, okay, so I've got my beer mat here, okay, which mm-hmm. is my plane of focus, and okay. I want to <laughs> I want to focus on a nearby rock and a distant mountain. Okay. So I'm going to tilt my beer mat now forward until the uh-huh. bottom part of my beer mat is somewhere, and and I'm going to guess probably two thirds up the rock, but I think. Okay. Uh, but let's just say halfway up the rock for now, anyway. Okay. Uh-huh. And then, and then the top part, I'm going to point it at my mountain, and it's going to be somewhere not at the top of the mountain, but probably somewhere down a bit. 
And that's now Actually, you go up a bit would be up better. A bit, up a bit, yeah. yes. Because so remember, depth of field is generally a third in front, uh, two-thirds two behind. Behind. The plane, yeah. Yes. So I'm giving myself the best chance by yeah. pushing this my beer mat <laughs> up the mountain. I'm pointing it at the mountain now in the background. Yeah. I've, this uh -huh. is a great radio, everybody. Yeah. So I'm pointing my beer mat at the, at the mountain, a, a third from the top. And the bottom is, um, uh, is that also a third? third from the top yeah. of the rock yep yeah and that is my imaginary plane of focus and that if i yes. take it down below my camera mm -hmm. there's a line and there's a line from my let's assume i'm using the front yeah the front so i mean uh, yeah if you're so going to use front tilt imagine plane, i'm going to use for, yeah so my, my 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 film plane is upright so that's yeah. a that's a plane that goes straight down so i can yeah. kind of see there and then i need to move tilt the front oh this is brilliant i can tilt the front standard now until that uh -huh. Till I draw a line in my head down below uh -huh. the camera to yep. that point where my beer mat lines up with my film plane. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and you've got – so if I've got my lens fully open at f3.5 uh -huh. or 4, yeah. um, that's a fairly narrow plane of focus that shoots off mm -hmm. from my rock to the mountain. Exactly. You're going to have to uh, readjust your focus to, to get them – both in because yes. when you start changing yeah. the distance there it yeah, messes things fiddle. up yeah 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 and a lot of it is just that fiddling mm -hmm. and if you've got a fairly flat landscape in between the rock and the mountain mm -hmm. then you could probably shoot that wide open and get that plane of sharp focus right through there in theory but in, yeah, in, theory. in general you'll need to stop mm -hmm. down then won't you to extend that yeah. extend that plane of focus does it open up like a cone i've read somewhere exactly i was, was going to bring like that cone. up you have to remember you know because depth of field increases with distance yeah. so that rock in the foreground your depth of field is going to be shallower either side of that optimum plane hmm. and then as it gets further away it'll kind of flare out yeah yeah mm -hmm. simon so well, are you all, uh, that's the shine fluke principle explained yeah. using a beer mat yeah. do you know what now, now the trouble is i'm gonna to have to take a beer mat out with me now there you I'm go only, yeah. i'm only gonna be able to visualize it uh -huh. I, um, i've got a bavarian premium lager beer mat i'm staring at and that's i'm gonna to to make a hole in it and put it around my neck or just put a beer on top of it so you know. <laughs> I've, I've I've got to say, for for a large part of that, I think I was actually I was closing my eyes and listening to Wayne talk. That helps. Um, and uh, and and there was a there was a for for a large part of that, I was thinking, oh, I'm not so sure about this. And then yeah. all of a sudden, it seemed to click. And it's that business about tilting your front standard. And and the the thing is, this it. it, it it doesn't make a huge amount of sense and when, when you're talking about the rock which is in the foreground and the the mountains mm -hmm. which are i don't know they could be a mile away or something like that yeah. um mm -hmm. well how do you how do you work out how much tilt you use to to make that plane of focus lie down enough to go from the mm -hmm. the rock to the yeah. um to, to to the mountains in the in the background and mm -hmm. It's it, now I'm actually talking about it. It's making less sense to me, although I still. No, oh, but you, you, um, you've, you've got that line that's extending. If you take that now, that new plane of focus that you're imagine, you're visualizing, yeah. and you and you carry on that visualized virtual plane of focus underneath the camera, you you can then kind of look at the back of your camera where the film plane is and, and project a line downwards and say, okay, well that's meeting there at this point down near my knees, so I'm going to tilt my front standard forward until that plane 
the lens plane effectively then also meets that point so all three join up together then that's yeah that's that, that's that's your plane of focus uh-huh. it's easy what's the problem yeah well the, the other part of this of course is you know we will we'll be out there with a with a loop <laughs> and we should be able to vi- should be able to physically see this actually happening in front you, of us shouldn't we yeah you can you, yeah. you, you yeah. can you once you've re- once you'll do your tilt then you'll have to readjust your focus a bit mm-hmm. yeah you'll exactly see and the other, yeah. the other the other thing that we've not mentioned here is is the is the amount of front tilt that we're applying mm-hmm. to get this effect to happen because it, in yeah. in some ways you might think you'd have to move it a long way forward but actually in reality that the actual in terms Whoa. of degrees that we're tilting it, it's not much yeah. at all is it it's also going to depend on the lens you're using isn't it yeah and distance a lot of factors there mm-hmm. and if you're focusing now, on something close up or 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 it's a wide angle or standard lens mm-hmm. that, that's going to affect it presumably yeah now, another option for you, if you have trouble visualizing these things, of course, you got to be a little nerdy for this approach. <laughs> worry, and you, you're, and, you're with friends here. <laughs> and, and you need a calculator oh. <laughs> and something to measure with. Okay. Here's where the geometry comes in. Okay. Uh, if, if you get your camera out and you, you focus on, say, the near object you want in focus. Okay. And make note of where that is on your ground glass. Then you focus on the um, far object. Did I do that right? <laughs> Near first, that's not which one. You get, anyway, what you're after is how far did I have to move the film? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I have a little dial I made for my camera that tells me that. So I, I focus on either the near or the far. I set my little dial to zero, and then I focus on the other extreme. And I can tell how many millimeters the film moved. Yep. Okay, so you need that measurement. Okay. And then going back to your ground that's glass. assuming you're using the rear standard to focus now. That's what you're... Well, it actually doesn't matter as long as you know, know what kind of change there was between the distance between the film yep. and the lens. Yep. Okay. Uh, and then you, you take your little millimeter ruler and you measure how far apart those two things are on your ground glass. Right. Makes sense? The image? Yeah. yeah well, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, okay. Under, I'm understanding the words. But the comprehension is, is I'm sure, going to fall uh, into place eventually. Okay. And, and what you just did there is you created two sides of a right triangle. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if Pythagoras what? was going to come into this somewhere. Is well, not, not, Pyth- not Pythagoras, not Pythagoras, oh, okay. but, uh, but something else. Uh, so you have two the two legs of a right triangle. Uh, the the distance you had to move the film or the lens to get the two things in focus is one side. Let's say that's I don't know. Say so you moved it four millimeters. I don't know if that's reasonable or not. And on the um, ground glass, those two objects are I don't know how about thirty millimeters apart. Okay. Mm-hmm. So those are are the, the two legs of the right triangle. And if you get your handy calculator out and you need something with some uh, scientific notation or some scientific functions on it, and what you're looking for is the inverse tangent of 4 over 30, opposite over adjacent. Tan- Ask well, your ta- calculator tangent, for that. Tangent is opposite over adjacent. I always remember that because that's Sokotoa, yeah. isn't it? Sokotoa. Yeah. S-O-H. 
yeah, sine, the opposite over hypotenuse and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Opposite over hypotenuse, adjacent over hypotenuse, and opposite over yeah. adjacent. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, so you use the inverse tangent or the, the tan minus one, yeah. it'll be in most calculators, and you put in that four over 30. Uh, if your calculator is set to degrees, it'll spit out what kind of angle you need to get to move your film into that position. I've got to say, I'm loving this. Um, <laughs> I have to say, life is far too short. As far as yeah, oh, no, well, I'm this, glad this, this, this put my students to sleep when I tried no, explaining this, this kind of this, stuff. This, this, this I'm, 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 I'm down with this. I really am. Um, and, okay. I, and I think that what we should do... No, is, Wayne, should do Wayne should do a video cast of this. <laughs> and, I think right, we're, we're, and we put are, it on the Facebook group. Yeah, I think we're ably yeah. demonstrating why uh, this is difficult to do on the podcast. Yeah. But, yeah. But the, uh, the, the, the other side of this, though, is um, that uh, button on a scientific calculator. Uh, uh -huh. I think we could do with taking a photograph of that. If um, Wayne, if you can take a picture of that, or of uh, Andrew, if you know what that button is. Um, so we can just include that somehow in the... Uh, in the show notes, potentially in yeah. our in our Facebook group, so people can actually just find that button. Um, so I think I'll just make life a little bit easier oh, for some people. Yeah, it's it's different on different calculators. Well, so I think also Wayne needs to Wayne needs to um, somehow share this on the on the Facebook in in using using pictures <laughs> or moving yeah. imagery, and that would yeah. be, that would be the best thing. Yeah. So much as we love your much as we love your beautiful work, which we'll talk about in a minute. You need now having dug this big hole for yourself. You need to just yeah. Sh share yeah. it, share it again, so we so we can see what it is you're you're talking about because you've described yeah. it pretty well, and I think I'm kind of with you. And I'm okay. sure well, I'm sure I've seen um, in a book I've got in a book or on an article exactly what you're talking about. And I'm sure oh, my okay. old Sinar camera used to have in the, if I read the instructions, it used to talk about similar things because the Sinar had all these kind of um, mm -hmm. You, you could you could measure the distance moved quite easily, and then the signal yeah. would tell you to um, take this angle and transfer it yeah. to the angle yeah. of tilt, and 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 yeah. it's supposed to make it idiot proof. But I tell you what, it wasn't idiot proof because this idiot <laughs> couldn't understand it. I, I just I just want to want to say that um my my enthusiasm there is is not so much that I'd I'd, I'd want to do this every single time. It's it's more to about, do it once. It, it's yeah because it it produces a. A repeatable accurate result assuming you, you're yeah. doing it correctly and then you mm -hmm. can see what that actually gives you because you'd have to take a protractor with you or something like that to measure the accuracy yeah, it's, yeah and that, that's the trouble that, yeah. that's it but it's the kind of thing you only really need to do once in a certain situation and you can you can test it out in a couple of different scenarios and that will mm -hmm. give you an idea about what the minimum you might want to use or the, or the maximum amount of front from yeah. tilt you would you'd want to use for this specific uh, use so i just think it just it just helps people to work out well because we, we all say something oh you've got just tilt it a little uh, well, yeah. what does that what's mean? a little yeah exactly <laughs> well i when i was using my sinar camera it did have the degrees were marked on the on the front and mm -hmm. rear standard and and by and large mostly i seem to remember tilting it a few so uh, you know less yeah. than five d yeah. degrees but I was finding, so I was photographing in the Fens the other day for this ill-fated um, double exposure <laughs> challenge, and I was having to put quite a bit more front um, tilt on it. But I wasn't really trying to line planes up. I was just mm -hmm. doing it from sort of 
you know, visually to see where this, to see where, yeah. where it was in. Yeah, and that's, was that's in a matter of tilt, focus, tilt, focus, tilt, focus, yeah. and then give yeah. up. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So but the problem here, Wayne, if, if you, particularly if you've got a big, tall object, quite, mm-hmm. qu- say, anywhere close, particularly if it's closer to the camera, yeah, that's going to cut right through that cone, isn't mm-hmm. it? That we've uh, yeah, and and you you may you may get it in focus by stopping down, or you might yeah. have the top the top of it might be a bit out of focus, or something. yeah. Uh, also, depending on the scene, you can do the same thing with a swing. If there's not something on the ground that's important you can swing the lens instead of tilt to change the plane of focus from that vertical object uh out to infinity yeah and so i've I've done that a time or two the scheimflug principle is still the same there isn't it you're looking at your intersection but out to one side of your camera rather exactly exactly i had to do one uh, not too long ago uh, where i used it upside down is this an image that you can? Is this an image that you've posted somewhere we can look at? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, let me uh, open up Flickr here, and uh, so, so I can, you anyway, can, I was. You can, you can find Wayne's pictures, folks, um, on a couple of Facebook. Uh, well, he, he's certainly in the in the large format photography Facebook yeah. group, posting regularly. But he does have a couple of um, Facebook groups himself, or pages himself, and also on Flickr. You're yeah. a new a new Flickr convert. Yeah, yeah. Last month while I was recovering from my knee surgery, I couldn't get out and do anything, so I joined the 20th century and uh, got a Flickr page <laughs> and started uploading stuff. I don't have all the uh, text in there yet. I need to go back and give explanations and uh, stuff about everything. But let's see, my photo stream, and I think well, it's... Well, Wayne's looking for that... Uh, mm-hmm. Ah, there it is, right there. Oh, okay, I just, okay. Just, just a quick one. I was, I was going to yep. give, you a little, okay. give you a little bit of time there, but you've already got there. But mm-hmm. um, just yeah. a, 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 a hybrid uh, photography observation. Um, mm-hmm. that there, are, there are times where you, you're ultimately limited by, the, by physics... Uh, that you can't yeah. get uh, the depth of yeah. field in the way that you you would want it to, no, because the light conditions won't let you stop down enough, or there isn't enough movement, or anything like mm-hmm. that. And uh, the 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 wonders of uh, digitization can potentially help out in that situation where you could actually focus stack. Um, so you, which would mean that, and this is a digital technique, uh, where you would take um, several photographs, at least two. Um, where you t- you put the plane of focus further away and another one a little bit closer, and then mm-hmm. you would combine the two photographs together, and that's usually a digital one. Mm-hmm. And of course, you can do that with film, because if you digitize uh, the negatives, then you will have two digital files, and then you could actually uh, use Photoshop. Um, I'm not going to go into how that happens, but it's not actually a difficult process, uh, but you could... Could potentially, as long as you've got good sharpness in the image, because if you've got a relatively grainy image, then it, it makes it a lot harder, if not impossible. But if you've got a good sharp image, then you can combine those two images together, and uh, the software will actually pick out the, the sharp areas and uh, throw out the uh, the blurred areas, and there you, you'll end up with a, a photograph with a greater depth of field. But it's that will be a digital photograph at that point. Okay, the, the image in question. Uh, I don't know if the the photo um, stream looks the same on everybody's. Well, I tell you but, what, Wayne. I am I am your only follower. I think. Oh yeah, I think so. <laughs> 
but it's a, the title is Tree Cage Cove, and it's in the, in one, uh, of the see, one, two, three, four. No, if you just go to the main photo, photo stream, stream. Okay. it's in the fourth row, first image. Two, three, four. Tree and arch, mine says. What, what am I looking for? Uh, it's the next for? one, next one, right next to that tree and arch, to the left. Train door, oh, okay. Your other tree, left. <laughs> tree. Cades Cove. Cades Cove. Yeah, it's yeah. a place down in the Smoky Mountains. But notice on that one, I'd the, the branches. Live. I'd love to live in the Smoky Mountains. Have we got hillbillies people. living in the, uh, in the mountains? <laughs> yeah, and we all use outhouses and don't wear shoes. <laughs> Excellent. I'm just reading a Bill Bryson book, and I'm sure he's in the Smoky Mountains at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And anyway, we've noticed the, the, the tree branches coming down from the top. Yes. Okay, I wanted those in focus. Yeah. And there's nothing really close in the foreground on the bottom. No. So I, I instead of tilting the, the the lens forward, I tilted it backwards. Right. So my plane of focus runs from the tree branches above me oh. through that tree in the background or in the midground, I guess. So you're you're kind of Sorry, it's my dog barking outside because yeah. she vanished <laughs> to the garden because she was yeah. filthy. So yeah. you're tilting that. You, you, sorry, were you tilting the front? I don't, no, I don't think it matters, does it? The front or the no. back? You're tilting it back. We, we, we were talking front, so let's talk front. Front. Yeah. So you're, So my beer mat now is um, mm-hmm. tilting backwards, and I can see the Going plane up over da- your head. Up over my head. Ah, up over my head. Yeah. Right. Yes, of course. Yeah, up over my mm-hmm. head. Okay. And my so that's my plane of focus and the yeah so that's going to where where am I looking for my line of intersection somewhere behind me over my head so um it depends on where you're standing relative to the camera but uh, (laughs) I'm behind it (laughs) okay it'll be slightly in front of your head then Uh, yeah because the film's going straight up in front of you right okay yes yes. Yeah, uh, so I would tilt the lens back, back. Yep. so that its plane comes up and and intersects that same spot. Okay. Right. And then, of course, as you know, distance away, the depth of field increases. So I, I forget exactly. I think I focused uh, or adjusted the plane so it was kind of on the top of that first ridge out there. Okay. So I used the depth of field to bring in the bottom of that tree and then on up into the sky in focus. Yeah. So could you, yeah, I guess if you just relied solely on stopping the lens down, um, would, would don't think I would have gotten enough because that, uh, the branches were fairly close. And, uh, if I remember right, that was probably my one fifty that I was using. Yeah. I don't think I don't think I could have gotten enough depth of field out of it. You you could of course just let those that foreground blur, but that's quite a distraction, isn't it? When it's yeah, when it when it uh, yeah, we expect foreground yeah. objects to be folk in focus. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to let the background drop a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Although you can have using you you can isolate subjects, can't you? With yeah. with, with view cameras by having both the bits of the foreground and bits of the background. Yeah, I never really got into that kind of stuff, but um, no. yeah, oh, it's lots yeah of fun. you can also I'm, use I'm movements only, to, to isolate. I normally end up with that sort of effect just through <laughs> ignorance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Yeah. And then you post it and people say, Oh, that's so that's really cool. I said, Yeah, I yeah. know, that's just my yeah, clever that's right. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so on your Flickr, on your Flickr site, Wayne, you've mm-hmm. you've got um, uh, three three albums, which yeah. I guess are we we like working in series. Um, you've got something called Forgotten Steps. You've got something called yes. Edgewater, and Lord is in this place. So are these yes. are these conscious? Now I think Forgotten Steps is clearly a sort of um, uh, yes because it's just old steps. But yeah. did you just one day shoot an old step and thought I want to shoot more of these or is there some uh, is there some uh, clever metaphor here to do with abandonment and lost and you know pathways what's going on in your your head with with forgotten uh, steps it's in in this part of the of Tennessee there's a lot of old collapsed abandoned houses and stuff that's been torn down and all over the place. Yeah. But th- we built our new house out here on the 50 acres about 10 years ago. And on my daily commute, I passed by an old schoolhouse uh, that had been converted into apartments. And I see these steps alongside the road going up, and there's no sidewalk above or below, just these steps in the side of the bank. And for some reason, that struck a chord with me. Uh, they, they just don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's just been abandoned. Is this and the first image? More the more. first image called "Forgotten" on your. There's one image at, right at the beginning that on on your stream of forgotten steps. Mm-hmm. No, there is one with two. Um, yeah, rails. the rails, the handrails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just photographed it straight on. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a different one, actually. The the one that got me inspired to do this, I, I've never photographed. Oh, okay. Be- because my only rule for this is they have to go nowhere. And mm. while the one down there, there is no walkway from it, the old building is still there. Right. So you know its purpose. But the rest of these, they don't go anywhere. They're just the steps. Yeah. Yeah. And interesting, too, that the, the one you just mentioned, um, I was photographing that. It's right along a main road in the town up the road from me here. And they were doing some construction work next to it. And... Uh, I think it was about a week after I shot that, I came by and they torn that down. It's all flattened out there now, and there's a new insurance building there now. <laughs> yeah. So are you, are you are you with me on this page, Simon? Have you got? Yeah, yeah, um, I'm here. Have, have you got? Yeah. So are these are these all print scans, Wayne, or are these? Yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, the only thing, my only concession to digital is uh, I picked up a little Pentax K100D or something like that because I had some old Pentax lenses around to mm-hmm. photograph the prints. Okay. And then uh, I just do whatever minor things I have to, to get them looking kind of like the prints. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When I yeah. scan print, if I've got a bit of tone on them and we'll uh, talk about that, then yeah. I, I think I normally probably just scan clearly. Up, well, uh, yeah, I scan those in color, I think, and then adjust them till they, till they look a bit like my, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not very good at it, but uh, no, me neither. No, I'd much as folks know. Listen to me whittering on. Uh, no, I'd much rather be in the dark room. Yes, I get much time for that. But there was a um, your your beautiful prints that you're scanning and the lovely tonality mm-hmm. to them and the tone uh-huh. itself. Uh, yeah. there, there was a question that I can bring in. We we Simon posted a few hours ago saying mm-hmm. that we we're just about to record, and if anyone's got any questions for Wayne. 
and we had a couple of people. So thank you, um, those two people. And the, and this one is um, from – now, I've got to get this right because he's a linguistic student or <laughs> or teacher or something. Um, he studied linguistics. So his name is Arild Edvard Bas- Basmo, but I'm sure that's not right because the A has got funny things over the top of it. But uh, So uh, Arild says – I notice a lot of your inverted commas brilliant pictures are on warm, warm tone paper or toned. Yeah, I guess you you couldn't necessarily tell unless you've got the edge of the paper looking at you. While I have my own thoughts about it, come on, Harold, share them. <laughs> I would love to hear your thought process behind that and the effects you think it has on the viewer. Okay. Mm. Uh, for the longest time, uh, I didn't even give it a second thought. I just, I just made prints, but, uh, Lord, I don't know how long ago it was. Um, I was trying out some different papers and I came across, uh, some zone six brilliant two paper, uh, which was made by or sold by zone six studios up in Vermont. Um, unfortunately they stopped uh, Fred Picker. Fred Picker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting character. And uh, I, I liked it. it nice, rich blacks and uh, beautiful prints with it. But I didn't really notice the tone of it until I laid a print down to one of my earlier prints. And something just jumped out at me. And it was that not really obvious. Like your, the, your, you earlier prints were made, your earlier prints were made on, on what? What were you using originally? Oh, uh, God, originally... Um, I was using graded papers because RC papers, all you could get or were shades of gray. You know, you couldn't get a solid black or a clean white okay. out of those. So uh, I'd always use graded papers and uh, fiber-based papers. But the with, the cool, with, the, with a neutral or cool to- tone, was it? I, I never really noticed. No, um, most of them were it was mostly Kodak for the most part, okay. which is usually a fairly neutral paper, yeah. I think. Okay. But the, that zone six paper had just a little warmth to it, a little bit of brown, especially in the shadows, uh, which I just loved. Um, do I still have you guys there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. It. Something sure clicked Simon. there. And yeah. so uh, I thought I may have lost Simon? <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. I, did, I heard it as well. I just thought, okay, a, I'm, I'm a little paranoid now. <laughs> we've lost Simon, but he's not yeah. still here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it was it was that slightly warmish uh, tone, and it just adds a little depth to it, at least in my opinion, that you don't get with those cold papers or, or even neutral papers. And from that day, uh, I, I was almost looking for a nice warm tone paper. Um, just personal preference. I think it adds a little bit of warmth, and, and obviously warm because it's a warm tone, but uh, a little bit of depth and a little more interest to it than the, the neutral papers. So, so, but but if you have a warm tone paper, what what are you using today? For, for, uh, today, I'm using uh, the Ilford fiber based warm tone. So, but you can produce a, a fairly neutral image from that, can't you? Depending you can. On the developer. Yeah, yeah. I use uh, I mix my own chemistry, and I use uh, basically ID seventy eight, which was which was a warm. T- I add a little more of potassium bromide to it to warm it up just a little bit more. But um, the only thing I'm not crazy about on the Ilford, uh, it's it's the best that I found right now, because Adox dropped my old favorite paper, 
Uh, I think the, they might be reintroducing something. I think it's available in Europe, but for some reason they dropped it over here, and that was their Variotone warm tone paper. I yeah. love that stuff. It had that nice warm image, but a, a clean yeah. white neutral base. I'm using, f uh, what is it for lith prints I'm using at the moment? It's Foma. Uh, it's multigrade. There's mm -hmm. two, the, the 131 and 132 are the, the yeah. numbers. One is yeah. one is matte and one is, but it's variable grade uh, warm tone yeah. paper. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but this time around, when I was going through that mess of trying papers again, yeah, uh, had to make a compromise. Uh, the Ilford is the base is a little bit warm. I'd rather have a clean white base, uh, but it's better than when I first tried it. I tried it when it first came out, and I didn't care for it at all. But I figured. So, what, so you see that on the on the if you print your pictures with a. Uh, you know, with a border around, you see yeah. that, that what, what Wayne, what you're talking about there is that is you can pick up that base color by yeah. looking at that kind of, so I'm, I, I produce mainly just standard Ilford multigrade prints and there's a very bright mm -hmm. white. They might yeah. even use brighteners. I don't know, but anyway, it's very bright, right? But with, yeah. uh, with, with generally with a warmer tone paper, you look at that and that it's got a slight creaminess to it, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't really notice it uh, and, until you lay it, next to a white piece of yep. paper, yep. then it, then it's kind of obvious. But I, I had to make a compromise because I figured um, I'm tired of getting used to a paper and really liking it, and then all of a sudden I can't get it. So I figured uh, the best chance is Ilford's going to be around longer than most anyone else. <laughs> so the chances are greater that this paper is going to be around longer. So yeah. I, I won't have to go through that mess of trying to find a new paper. <laughs> And so the image tone that you've got on the pictures I'm looking at on Flickr on Forgotten Steps, is that purely yeah. as a result of the paper or are you? That's just the paper. And then these were actually on that uh, ADOX. Oh, right. Okay. Paper that I used. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I still have some. I kept uh, some ADOX paper just for Forgotten Step photos, just for consistency. Hmm. Yeah. And are you... Are you doing any toning at all? No, nothing at all. Nothing. Have at you all. ever have you ever used a, oh. a sepia or thi thiocarbamide? No, you're back once upon a time when I was first playing with these things. I, I tried a little bit of uh, sepia toning and, yeah. and a few other things, but uh, well, I just never well, cared for it. I I, I do I, I do occasionally mm -hmm. tone, and, and I I have to say I quite like the effect with Ilford multi-grade uh, fiber paper so that not not yeah. the not the warm tone sometimes mm -hmm. i will when i'm in the mood for it and i've got some patience i will yeah. lightly using the ferry uh, uh potassium ferrocyanide uh -huh. uh, bleach very very dilute i'll just which will noticeably affect the highlights first i'll just bleach those back slightly mm -hmm. and then uh, wash the print and then yeah. you use the um use the toner which I make up myself with a proportion of uh, caustic soda and uh, thiocarbamide I think and whichever relationship you use whichever ratio you use to give a slightly yellowy tone um, uh -huh. what you end up with then is particularly if you then selenium tone it afterwards is very nice rich deep blacks but the highlights take on that sort of creamy effect uh, you know okay. so, kind of a split tone yes thing. yeah mm -hmm. but by just by only partially bleaching I wonder if you get to that effect that you like where you've got the warmth. You know, you're looking for something with blacks, but you've got a sort of warmth to the... 
Yeah. Highlights. Um, well, I want a warmth in the black also. Oh, do you? Oh, well. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, as you know, you know, the, the digital images of the print doesn't do the prints no, justice. No, they yeah. don't. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Simon, yeah. any questions for Wayne on Forgotten Steps or, or warm tone papers? I, I know so so little about paper. It's uh, what are you using yeah. in your dark room in Stoke on Trent? Because your 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 mate is using a, uh, a fixed grade paper at the moment, isn't he? That that's right. And yeah, he's using I, f- I forget which which paper it is, but he's he's got several grades of paper. And uh, and I'm talking about Brian Truman. Uh, not that I think he's listening, but uh, if he was, hello Brian. Um, yeah, because uh, we have this uh, dark club evening, which started off as a once a month thing but we're just loving it so much we it's now weekly on a tuesday night so uh, if anybody wants to come along to that uh just get in touch with me via facebook or um flickr or where wherever um <clears throat> by the way we can't do large format <laughs> which is uh which is a bit, a bit bit of a problem because we don't have a large format in, in larger and we, yeah. we we can't afford one um but one day we'll we'll, we'll get there yeah. but uh but yeah i've i've done my first bit of printing and it was uh, just a contact sheet uh on on this um uh paper but the the thing is a, a couple of weeks before i'd been to the dark shed event um with sunday 16 and hamish gill and a few other people were there um and uh, john whitmore uh, he's got this fantastic setup there with a um, Devere 504, and he was using uh, multi-grade paper. And when I went back to talk to that to uh, talk about that to Brian, he sort of looked at me and said, "Well, I don't use multi-grade; I use paper. You know, it's the way I've mm-hmm. always always done it." And uh, yeah. so we had a discussion, and uh, we decided that he's going to learn how to do multi-grade paper. Um, it's just simply as much; it's just for the sake of um, buying stock in it's a lot cheaper to actually buy a large quantity of one kind of paper rather than having a yeah. large quantity of several kinds of paper so mm-hmm. uh, uh, but in terms of you know types and tones and things like that i haven't got a clue um, yeah. i just all i do know is it's uh, it's resin coated paper that we're working with at the moment um, but one day we'll uh, we'll experiment and we'll venture out yeah the paper's gotten a lot better over the years like i said when i first started that you know multi-contrast paper was just was terrible stuff but uh now uh, it's beautiful and uh, plus you get the i started doing split grade printing recently also so the versatility you have with multi-grade papers is remarkable now what uh, images do you find now i'm a bit ambivalent towards split grade printing i have to say um some that there are some evangelists who use it for every single print and swear that it's the best thing since sliced bread. But there are others like uh, a hero of mine, John Blakemore, who says, use it, use it selectively for the right type of uh, negatives. I can't remember if he ever explained to me what yeah. the right type of negatives were. Oh, um, you just know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, 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 do, I do make use of the effectively self-masking abilities of a hard, a hard filter and a soft filter to print. Yeah. To, to shade areas in and, and without affecting others, you know, so using, mm-hmm. using the hard grade f- filter if will uh, affect the shadows far more than the mm-hmm. highlights. And if, yeah. you know, if you know that, you can use that to your advantage, can't you? Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah. Are, are, yeah, you yeah. Using, are you using split grade sort of constantly now? Are you a, uh, or is it still something you're finding your way with? I, I use it mostly. Um, mm-hmm. And that goes into my whole system now. I, I stand develop everything in Caffinol, uh, 
which gives me negatives with a tremendous range. So I have all kinds of information there. That's my goal now is just to get as much information in the negative as I can and then choose what to do with it when I'm printing. Yeah, that's what Matt, uh, Matt Marash, I think, was talking about a few weeks uh, ago with um, you know, the, the ultimate flexible negative. Exactly. Um, exactly. So looking for some full shadow detail and some, and some highlight detail, mm -hmm. and been able to print that negative. Yeah, and split grade printing lets you bring them both in mm. if you want. So it's, it's just, you know, once you get a system down, uh, you know, I do basically two test patches. I do, I do normally do the highlights first. So mm -hmm. I'll stick my double zero in there and, and find an exposure for a highlight area that gives me a little bit of detail. You, yes, so you're looking for, you, you're kind of ignoring the blacks at the moment. You're yeah. look, you accept it's going to be rather kind of flat and boring. Yeah, it's going to be, yeah, flat and but muddy. You're, mm -hmm. you're looking for... Where, where you want to see some detail in the highlights, you, that's what you're yeah. looking for, the first hint of that. Exactly, exactly. And once I determine what the best exposure is for that, uh, then I'll take a look at the image again on the baseboard, and I'll find a shadow area where I want to have detail. And then I'll, um, I'll make a base exposure with the double zero filter in there yep. for, the, for the time I determine I need for the highlights. And then I'll replace it with my number five filter yep. and do a, a test patch there to find out what gives me the detail I want. Yep. And then just uh, combine those two. And there may be some other burning and dodging in there with one or both of the two filters. Yeah. Would, if, it's, if it's highlight areas that you need to manipulate, is, would you, mm -hmm. is it fair to think you'd do that manipulation, burning or dodging in the, what, during the soft exposure? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to go back and play a bit more with split grade yeah. printing. Yeah. And you do it enough, it gets to be kind of intuitive after a while. You know, I've been well, doing this long enough where I can kind of look at the negative and say, now I know I'm going to need to have to pay attention to this piece over here. You know, this is going to have to be burned in a little bit. But let's, uh, let's, you know, this isn't, this isn't an answer to sloppy, sloppy workmanship leading no. up to that point, is it? So no, maybe, no. It's, maybe it's explain, to... maybe explain, you know, some of your Edgewater photos, mm -hmm. um, which is a series of, small parts of running water i think yeah not, not full waterfall pictures but little right little parts by the edge of water yeah yeah water. exactly by the edge where where it makes that transition so, from flowing to falling basically i imagine you've got some quite challenging metering situations there so yeah so, and you've mentioned caffeinol as well i'd like you to perhaps explain mm -hmm. um talk to the listeners a bit about that i've played around with caffeinol a bit but i know there are yeah. various formulas you can use mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. um, for the benefit of listeners out there, we, we always like to talk a bit about metering and ensuring that you're mm -hmm. getting the shadows where you want them. Maybe talk about your yeah. workflow to produce one of these sort of pictures on Edgewater. Where... Okay. Um, it's, it's basically a kind of a simplification of the zone system, Yeah. except I ignore the developing part because caffeinol takes care of that. Uh, I'll basically base the exposure on the shadow areas. I look for a shadow where I want some detail. And then uh, I use a Pentax digital spot meter uh, with a little zone system dial on. It makes life a lot easier. And I'll, I'll place that around zone, between zone two and three usually. And then Just I'll explain, scan the scene. Explain 
explain explain to anyone just listening to this show because rather than me point folks back to listening to matt or to steve yeah just um <laughs> uh, explain what you what you're talking about with okay if uh, the basically the meter is designed to render whatever you pointed at that neutral 18 percent gray so if i just meter the shadows and do what the meter says i won't have a black shadow i'll have a gray shadow mm-hmm so I have to decrease the amount of exposure from what the meter is telling me to do. So I'll underexpose it to two and a half stops or so. Yep. Yeah, to, to make it dark again. Before you reach that, uh, mm-hmm. before you reach that point, Wayne, have mm-hmm. you done any further testing on film stocks that you use regularly to determine? Because if you're shooting that, at box speed, it it mm-hmm. may it may be with your meter and your camera and your lens setup. It may be mm-hmm. that actually by by yeah. moving your zone down those two mm-hmm. two steps, yeah, you suddenly develop it and find it's blank. Yeah, but doesn't theory tells you that it should be have have a little bit of density there? Yeah, yeah, and that all like I said, all depends on on how you do things. Yeah. Uh, and your equipment and procedures. So if you're, uh, if you're placing your shadow and you expect mm-hmm. some details and you're not getting it because it's blank, then just yeah. rate your film a bit slower. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes from, I only use one film. Excellent. Uh, I simplified things so a long time yeah, ago. That, that's brilliant. That, that's, <laughs> I love it. Yep, go on. Yeah. You're not, you're not a member of the film a week club then. No, no. I never saw the point yeah. in that. You know, get, get used yeah. to something and know how it performs and then decide if that's good or bad or what you want to do different. Yeah. So I've been using Ilford FP4 Plus Yay! for as long as I can See, remember. <laughs> I think we just have guests on here who use Ilford FP4 Plus. All right. <laughs> All right. So, so I know how that performs. And, yeah. um, you know, for the way I do it, that, that's what works for me. Uh, anyway, after I determine the proper exposure to get the shadows where I want them, then I'll look at the highlights in the water. And that's kind of a tricky part because there, as much as you try, there are going to be some spots that get blown out without any detail in it. But, uh, but I look for something important that I want detail in. And since I use long shutter speeds, detail is basically a little bit of gray. Yeah. Yeah, because there's, there's nothing stationary to have detail in. And I'll basically just check to make sure that looks reasonable. <laughs> because in chances terms, are... In terms of... The difference in stops it, between your exactly, shadow. exactly. What because do you, I know what that you consider uh, reasonable for FP four. Uh, well, again, depending on the on the developer and your mm-hmm. procedure, yep. and that's to me one of the advantages of stand developing in Cafinol. Uh, it it really holds detail in the highlights. Uh, you, it, it's hard to overexpose it. So, that's why people use stand developing. If, if folks, if you're using mm-hmm. stand developing and you wonder why you're using it, that is the what would be known as the compensating effect of such yeah. a developer using a very weak yeah. developer. So yeah. it's quickly the develop the active developer quickly becomes exhausted in those mm-hmm. heavily exposed areas, but carries on working in those uh, effectively in the shadow areas to yeah. really lower the contrast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It basically compresses everything into mm. something you can use. Mm-hmm. And uh, just on the subject of caffeinol, there were there were lots huh? and lots of different recipes uh-huh. uh, for, for yeah. caffeinol. Is is there a, a recognised recipe that you use, or is it a, 
a, a, a special Wayne version that you use? <laughs> I use the basically the Caffinol CL. Uh, you, you can get that. The Caffinol cookbook is online. You can download it as a PDF, yeah. PDF book. Yeah, yeah, and and that's in there, isn't it? The CL. Yeah, I'm sure it is. And on that one, there is if I if it's the one I remember anyway. It's been a long time since I looked at any kind of official formula. Uh, there is one additional chemical aside from the coffee, uh, washing soda, and vitamin C, yeah. and that's potassium, potassium bromide. bromide yeah. yeah, they that, recommend that, that for the stand need. developing. For the stand developing yeah. formula, they, they recommend you stick a bit of potassium bromide in there. Yeah, it, it reduces the, the fog that you get. You tend to get with some of those longer developing times. Yeah. And, and that amount is kind of trial and error from what they describe. Uh, uh-huh. They say anywhere from this to that, and I think I use about 1.5 grams of that per liter for mine, and develop about 70 minutes at yeah, that's 20 my degrees. Next, my next yeah. question: So, is yeah. it is it purely stand? No sort of sneaky agitation. Mm-hmm. No, no, no semi stand. Just uh, I agitate for about a minute at the beginning, and mm-hmm. then uh, let it sit. Now, when I've tried stand developing, um, I I thought I'd. I, I was stand developing things in what everyone seems to do in Rodinol or Rodinol mm-hmm. one to yeah. hundred, yeah. and when I uh, and I made the mistake of developing one roll, and I thought this is brilliant, and I did a few more, and then I started mm-hmm. scanning them. I didn't print them, but I was getting really uneven tonality in mm-hmm. skies, and it was really quite noticeable. And um, I, and and I, I think I. Someone suggested, or you give one inversion halfway through, but I, I kind of gave up on it because yeah. I wasn't convinced it was going to work for me. But with caffeinol, you're you know with, with areas of sky, for instance. Um, yeah, I, ne- I never, I've never. Well, in four by five, no issues at all. Um, no. Is this four by five? You you no, tried? Or? No, I've not tried it with four by five. Maybe I should. Yeah, because in, in 35, uh, the sprocket holes can lead to some issues. Yeah. You get some, yeah. some dragging down from that. And, but yeah. uh, in, in 4x5, I use a combi plan tank, uh, hold six sheets vertically. Right. Never an issue. Right. Uh, I tried it once just to see how it would work with 8x10. And yeah. that was in a tray. Yeah. And that didn't work out too good. <laughs> no. I've, I've, got to, I've got to say, Wayne, this is, this is music to my ears. Um, yeah. Apart from the fact I've also got a combi plan as well, um, so um, <laughs> because I've I'm I started off with stand developing uh, with yeah. you know, Rodinol, and mm-hmm. I've had exactly the issues that uh, have been dis- dis- described here. Sometimes yeah. it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. It's really yeah. interesting that you mentioned there that the sprocket sprocket holes uh, could yeah. be a cause of uh, some of the problems, and yeah. I have done. The, the last things I developed, um, I used uh, 1 to 100 uh, Radonol uh, mm-hmm. purely because I'd forgotten what film I'd been using. Yeah. And uh, I'd known that I had some HB5, and I also knew I had some um, that, the Shanghai film. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, uh, how, how am I going to work out which is which? And it's going to be different yeah. development. So, yeah, it just, just goes goes in the same one, and it's it's one one things mm-hmm. at all and they worked um they, yeah. they i mean my, my shots were in the main were awful uh, but they were <laughs> developing uh, <laughs> technically well, they were okay yeah <laughs> exactly i was pl- i was pleased with the development process at least but uh-huh. the the but it's it's interesting because i've i mean I, I tend to think about stand development stand developing has been a, a very much a, a beginner friendly 
way of doing doing things but it's not it's not in the slightest bit intimidating yeah. Um, yeah and and i've started moving towards you know uh, i've done like one to 25 in Rodnall and, and and so on and i'm i'm been a little bit emboldened but listening to you as an experienced photographer in four by five using the same equipment that i've i've got yeah. <laughs> looking at the the pictures that you're doing there and i'm thinking in caffeinol as well yeah, yeah, should, should, yeah. and I, uh-huh. I, I i like the idea of using caffeinol but the point is yeah. you know, i can get myself some uh, fp4 and stick with it because i like that yeah you know, what mm-hmm. you're achieving here and mm-hmm. make my own developer which is yeah, well, I really like the idea of doing that anyway, yeah. and stand develop it, and uh-huh. and and from what you're telling me here, and and I'm looking at your results, and from what you you're, you're saying, mm-hmm. there's no downside with this apart from it takes about seventy minutes to do well, to, to in the, yeah. in, the, in the UK, Simon. Um, if you if you get yourself confused over what on earth washing soda is, you <laughs> you do need to be careful. So yeah, in the I, in the in the end, I went to I went to my handy supplier down the road to me called wet plate supplies and we'll, i've mentioned them before but wet plate supplies uh-huh. are in ramsey and um, i bought myself some uh, uh, photographic use sodium hydroxide i think it's sodium hydroxide. that is washing soda isn't it uh, i think uh, i'll have to go think so no yeah. okay well I, i'm gonna go and um I'm going to mute my mic and go and get it while uh, Simon. <laughs> well, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about that because I mean, oh, there was, I think yeah. it was possibly in our, our group. I did actually ask this exact question, or if it wasn't in our group, then it might have been negative positives. So I'm, I'm not too sure, but and uh, I think Jimmy Hickford um, sent me several links, or it might have been uh, Ben Reynolds. Uh, several links of uh, places where you can just pick this off the shop. I think Morrison's actually sell it. Um, some of the supermarkets, so it's not as difficult to get hold of as i as i once thought yeah i get my uh, washing soda it's uh, arm and hammer washing soda yeah we don't we don't get that <laughs> here sodium store. sodium yeah. carbonate sorry sodium, there you go that sodium carbonate. Yeah. So i have a tub of sodium carbonate which wasn't very expensive yeah. and it's for, for photographic use only which just okay. but that's from yeah. from uh, and there's no confusion and i've right. developed um i've used it so far for developing uh, paper negatives, which works really well, mm-hmm. yeah. with some cheap coffee, and yeah. Uh, yeah. and I bought vitamin C powder from online from Amazon or somewhere, and yeah. I do have some potassium bromide, which I bought because I thought actually um, I'm going to probably give it a go with stand developing. And listening yeah. to you now, I like Simon. It's um, the, the business of not having if you don't have some kind of compensating developer, and I think. Um, mm-hmm. I think also um, a pyro type developer will have the same. You have to go a long way to lose highlight detail in something yeah. like a pyro. But if you don't want to mess around with pyro developers, then caffeinol is so f- friendly to the environment. You can you can drink it afterwards uh, without <laughs> causing yourself any problems <laughs> at all. That's so Simon told me anyway. No, no, other than swallowing it, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it does. Um, I would not advise doing that. And and so all yeah. all you need to do is decide. How to rate your film? If and so, as I said before, if you, if you, if you're placing your shadows a couple of stops down below, you know yeah. what the meter's telling you, yeah. and you're getting some detail there, which you think is is a nice amount of detail, just a, a you know, the detail enough for you, then you don't have to worry about the highlights. In the past, you'd have right. to measure the highlights, and if it's like yeah. 10, 10 stops different, you might have to cut your developing time down. Yeah. But if you're yeah. using something like caffeinol, which you can then drink afterwards. And make a yeah. nice um, <laughs> frappuccino with it. Yeah, 
but the only thing is it stinks. Does, doesn't it stink when you? Ah, it's, you get used to it. Horrible. I don't. It doesn't really bother me anymore. Oh. That's why you have ventilation fan in your dark room. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Just a, a quick one. When you when you're making uh-huh. this up as well, is there like a critical amount you have to make, or can you actually make it up in relatively small quantities? Well, the, the larger the quantity you make, the less critical the measurements are. Mm. But you're using it as one shot, aren't you? This is what I was confused yeah, about. Yeah, it's just one shot. And, you're making uh, a litre you know, of it up. I made a litre of it up and used it yeah, one shot. The, the combi plan works great with one litre of chemistry, so that's what I make. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This, it's just ticking every box at the moment, this is. Yeah. <laughs> and just buy a shit uh, coffee. Make sure you buy a shit coffee. Cause yeah, just yeah, buy the cheap stuff. Don't yeah. buy, you know. That. Bottom, sh- bottom shelf generic stuff. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I need yeah. to know if it could be done with coffee grounds. Well, so I've, I've uh, make fresh coffee every day. So uh, you don't want to um, just drink maybe, that. Maybe. Don't don't yeah. don't develop. No, no I want about the grounds after because I believe that yeah. still contains the caffeine. So uh, I have no. I do a lot of testing to figure out know. how much of it you needed. But uh, you know, another advantage of I found to stand developing in general, and that it it tends to build uh, edge sharpness. What I think we call the micro contrast. Well, that's a benefit uh, of stand developing in anything, I think. I th- yeah, exactly. Uh, which which re- is really nice. It, it gives you a little more apparent sharpness, especially in between the highlights and the surrounding areas. So it just has a little bit of extra oomph to it. Yeah, that's a, that, that is another benefit of stand development. Yeah. I think in anything you get this phenomenon that, that goes between areas of light and dark yeah. where you get this... Um, I can't remember the reasoning behind it, but there is yeah. a reasoning behind it. Yeah. So there I go. So that's um, – yeah. I think I'm going to – so FP4 is, is my film that I use pretty mm-hmm. much solely. And I'm just getting into caffeinol. So and I, I know one or two listeners of the show use caffeinol, but yeah. well, uh, you're the first person I think I've spoken to who's using it for large format work, but there must yeah. be others. I'm sure there are, yeah. Are you emboldened? Simon? Oh, well, I, I totally am. <laughs> so, Good. Uh, next, ne- next Tuesday at the at our dark room evening, I will be discussing caffeinol and why aren't we doing it? So, um, yeah. So the the following week we'll 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 have a bit of a chemistry uh, experiment and see about yeah. uh, putting it all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm 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 going to look at. I've seen I, recipes for ID seventy eight before. In fact, I think Simon that yeah. book I convinced you to buy recently, the amateur photographer handbook, has got some. Uh, has got a recipe for ID78 in it. But I think these formulas for, well, if you Google ID78, I'm sure you'll find the formula for it. For Yeah, or you, you can download a copy of Photographer's Cookbook. Yeah, oh, I have that. That's, that's, some Steve, uh, that's of it. Steve Anchel, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it has a lot of really nice stuff in uh, formulas in that you can use. But it's it's great that you've you just highlighted the specific one that you use because that was one of the things that slightly put me off uh, caffeine mm-hmm. because there's just so many variations that you can have there. Yeah. So to to know that you use CL, um, uh-huh. I can I can just go to that as a as a starting yeah. point and uh, take it from yeah. there. Yeah. yeah well, just don't blame me if it doesn't work. <laughs> well, we expect all our work to turn out just like yours now. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what do I do? I don't need to do this anymore. Then, do I? I can stop. <laughs> So um, the, the cameras you're using, Wayne, because uh-huh. um, in your Facebook profile pictures, you've, you've uh-huh. um, it's nice actually, I can see you there, there we go. Yeah. Um, you need your hat on though. With a camera like yeah. that, that, is that an 8x10 camera or some? Yeah, yeah, the big one's 8x10. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are rather beautiful. 
Oh, yeah, I love it. Uh, just something about working with that wood and brass and leather camera. It's, it's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> and and how long have you had those? Are they both by what make are they? Yeah, I got, I got real lucky on that. Uh, you know, I said the, the 4x5 I've had for over 35 years now. And a while back, I got the bug to do some 8x10. The Wisner, and, Wisner isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just for kicks, I went on to uh, Craigslist, our local, uh, you know, get rid of stuff's website. Mm-hmm. And what popped up was an eight by ten Wisner camera. You know, Wisners weren't that popular anyway. You know, they're rare. They're kind of rare anyway. And then to come across an eight by ten one in my area it was just kind of. Okay, this is meant to be. I got this big brother now. <laughs> so, I, you know, I went out and made a deal, got that, a couple of holders, and she threw in a carbon fiber Gitzo tripod on the deal. And <laughs> yeah, so I'm happy with that. Uh, I don't use it much. Uh, oddly, I like using the uh, 4x5 a lot better. Why um, is that then? Why do you like using the 4x5 more? Oh, I, I, part of it might be because I've been using it for so long. You know, yeah. I met I'm I'm one with the camera. You know, I can operate it without looking at it. And while the 8x10 is similar in design, things are in different places. But my most annoying thing about the 8x10 is the 8x10 ground glass. The image is just too big to compose comfortably. You know, the the 4x5 under the ground glass, I can look there and I can see the entire image and how things relate to each other. Yeah. But with the 8x10, it's hard to back up enough under the dark cloth all in, yeah. to you see everything. Yeah, you have to move your head around, but you're not taking in the whole... Yeah, I can, exactly. I can, I can see you that. You can't see everything at once. Yeah. yeah. So I found it much harder to compose with than with the 4x5. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That's just something but, I just need to get over. You know, <laughs> yeah. Start more. I, I do have a project I want to do with it, though, so I need to make myself get out there and do some shooting with it. What, why would you have a project just for 8 by 10 What is it? Is there a reason for that? Well, uh, I'll tell you if you promise not to steal it nor tell anyone about it. Oh, no, we can't make any promises <laughs> with that. We're stealing, every, we're stealing everything else you've told us. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I, got, I got the idea from, uh, you know, I work at Pellissippi State, a local community college here, so I deal with, uh, with young people all the time. And I always see them on their cell phones. And I was trying to think of some way to get them interested in traditional photography a little bit. And I'd also been playing with paper negatives just a little bit. Yeah. So my idea for an exhibit is to do a series of uh, 8x10 paper negatives and display them as negative images. Yep. And then as the people come in to view... I will have instructions on how to change their smartphones to show an inverted image. Yeah, that's really clever. I don't know how to do that, but I saw somebody doing that. It's under uh, accessibility options normally and then display. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they they see the negative image there, and and they need 8 by 10 to have it large enough so they can do something with. 4 by 5 would just be too small. Uh, So actually to, to view the image, they have to look at it through their phone. Yeah. And they can either look at the whole thing or small parts of it that may encourage them to spend a little more time with the images and not just look at it and move on to the next one. 
Wow, that sounds splendid. And and you know, I need someone who's a little more tech savvy. What I'd really love to do is have maybe a Facebook page to go along with it, where if there was some way for them to to, to photograph with their phone. And I tried this, but the trouble is, it's it, it saves it as a negative image. But if they could somehow then convert it back to positive, do what they want to with it, and then submit it to this Facebook page, hmm. there, there I could a, have kind is, of is, participation. There is, yeah, there, yeah, there is a way of doing that on on the phone, um, and that's uh, there's an app that, and it's on Android and. Um, uh, okay, you know the name of that offhand? Yeah, it's uh, well, it it doesn't specifically do that job. You've got to go into mm -hmm. into settings. Ah. But it's called Snapseed. Uh, oh, okay. Which is probably one I've, of I've the, heard of the that. Most, yeah, I think most most people have uh, got some familiarity with that that one. And uh, mm -hmm. you you go into I'll just get my phone in front of me actually, because I might be able to just yeah. quickly uh, work out where. Actually, no, it's going to take me too long. Um, yeah. There's a there's a setting where you can go into I think it's lines and curves. I think it's lines and curves. And mm -hmm. um and what you'll be doing uh once you've gone got that part in the in the in the settings, um you convert a a, a negative to a positive by mm -hmm. uh on the you, you get a square. Um the, the lines of curves it's like a graph and you have there's a, there's uh -huh. a square and you effectively have a point in the bottom left hand corner and then a straight line going to the top right hand corner uh -huh. and what you can actually do you sort of grab hold of the point in the bottom left and move it all uh -huh. the way up to the top and then you go mm -hmm. to the top right and drag that all the way down to the bottom and that uh -huh. creates a negative image Okay. Or a positive image. It, it does the opposite yeah. of whatever it is. Yeah, it's a negative of the negative, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then you can yeah. save that and export it. Okay. I'll have to, have to download it on my phone here and give that a try. And it, you know, um, that way I figured if they, they could you know just invert it and then they could play with other things with it too to make it theirs. And, yeah, and, absolutely. And share, the, share the results. The, the the downside about I'm not sure if it if it happens in Snapseed, but when you but you can do exactly the same thing in in Adobe Lightroom, um, mm -hmm. and and you can that's how you if you're digitizing your your negatives, yeah. it's, it's easier in black and white than color color colors are a little yeah. bit different, and uh, we can yeah. talk about that another time. But uh -huh. um, but you can do exactly the same thing in in Lightroom. The but when you once you've actually converted that, then when you start to move some of the sliders, not all of them, but some of them, like mm -hmm. um, you'll be used to sliding the the, the black slider into to the left to make the image more black. Well, actually, what you're doing, you actually increase the white by doing that. Yeah, action. yeah. So yeah. Th That'd things get backwards. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Some things do, some things don't, and mm -hmm. it's quite possible that might also be happening in Snapseed, but I don't know. So yeah. that, that could confuse. Well, it's pretty confusing at the best of times. So uh, that's yeah. the downside. <laughs> at, at that yeah. Yeah, the, that, that's my eight by ten project. When I have the time, well, to, it sounds wonderful. Yeah. If you want inspiration on people who display negative photographs, look up Heather Oaklaus. O a k l a u s. Heather has a yellow truck with a pinhole in the side mm -hmm. called Little Miss Sunshine, uh, and on the uh, on the wall opposite the pinhole, she has an array. So probably. Mm, 40 or 60 8 by 10 yeah wow. frame frames which mm -hmm. um, are magnetic 
and she loads those with Ilford multigrade paper yeah. and does a pinhole picture onto this array of of, of, of paper, which is, fills yeah. up the one side of her wall. She, de- she then takes them all down, stacks them up, puts them in a bag, and develops them, and displays yeah. them as massive, massive negative yeah. uh, pictures. And yeah. She's done gallery shows, and you can find her work. She's, she's got a YouTube video which shows her using Little Miss Sunshine. And okay. uh, she's a lovely lady. And yeah, I'll uh, look her up. And when you look at these pictures, you kind of get used to seeing them as a negative. You know, yeah. you think it's quite, your brain sort of adjusts. Yeah. It's the same thing with just viewing conventional negatives. You know, after a while, you, you can read the negative and know what it's going to need. Well, I think that, that, that's a topic that I think we should perhaps come back to at some point, reading yeah. a negative, because I think that's, yeah. um, that's you, I think you've just hit on something there. Yeah. Um, Simon, there's a couple of lens-related questions. Uh, there's a rather long one that's been sent in from Monty Craig, and I'm just wondering maybe we ought to hold that one over and just address the one from Jess Lance who... Um, yeah. who who put a message on the Large Format Photography Podcast Facebook group when uh, Jess, she, he? No, I don't know. I, I think it's a man. Uh, okay, sorry. When, when he um, realized that uh, Wayne was coming on. So this is probably one for you, Simon, I, I, but uh, maybe you and Wayne. Certainly yeah, not me. Can, I don't know. We can tag team on this one, Wayne, I think. Okay. <laughs> We Jess, can try. Jess says this. Jess says, I'm struggling with comprehending different lenses with different large format cameras, as in physical lens size. My speed graphics take a short 135 150 to 150 lens as a standard, I guess. And same with my 5x7 Kodak 2D. It has a 9.5 Gertz double. I want to say that in a real strange way, Gertz, double astigmat. I wanted to get another more modern lens, and I bought a 210 F8 quarter inch. That's a 210, no, 8 and a quarter inch. Yes, he's given us both measurements there for the Americans and the Europeans. Yeah. 210, 8 and a quarter inch Kaltar S2. Damn thing. (laughs) Damn thing is a monster next to the. the (laughs) Wondering why. I've no idea where he comes from. Maybe you can explain. While you're explaining that, I'm going to talk to my wife who's just walked through the door. <laughs> right. Well, well, let me let me start off on 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 this one, if I may, and then you can you can put me right, yeah. Wayne. Um, well, I don't know about that. I, I, I deal my my newest lens that I have is a 150 Fujinon W, which is probably from the 70s. Yeah. Uh, my favorite lens is my 12 centimeter um, uh, Angulon. Uncoated, so we're looking 40s probably. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. you know, I, I, you know they, they do what I want them to do, so I'm happy with them. You know, <laughs> no, no, so you probably know more about this than I do. <laughs> well, but I, I, I doubt it, but I'll, I'll give I'll give this a bit of a stab. Yeah, um, and and I know I know Jess from uh, other other forms of photography. Okay, um, and. And I understand is is the, the the confusion that he has with this 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 question because it's something I've gone through myself uh, because mm-hmm. when you're in, in the smaller formats you're very much used to um, say in full frame thirty five millimeter terms say a fifty millimeter lens is a standard lens at eighty five yeah. portraits and and so on and so on um, mm-hmm. 
and the same goes with uh, lo- uh, medium format to a degree. It, it does depend a little bit on well, it does. It does depend on the actual image size that's being being produced because you get yeah. different shapes. So uh, you know, six four fives and six by sixes, and 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 so on up to six six by nine, and so on. Um, yeah. So you get different standard lenses there. Um, and then when you jump to large formats, um, certainly four by five, a standard lens is somewhere because it starts it starts to get more vague now but a standard yeah. lens is or a normal lens is uh, say 135 to 150 maybe 160 yeah. or something, something like that in that region and yeah. and he's also mentioned that that's also uh, i don't know if it's if it's the same lens or he just puts that lens onto his five uh, as five by seven and it's and it's working fine um and i can see how that could potentially cause some confusion but the the, the issue being is it it's it's when you move into large format, we're not really talking anymore about just specific focal lengths do a specific job um, mm-hmm. because, and it becomes far more about the image circle that the lens projects. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so you can have a 150 millimeter lens that goes on, on a 10 by eight camera uh, or eight by eight by 10 camera, and yep. it will work on a four by four or on a four by five camera. Um, yep. But, you put a lens that's designed to sit, say, 150 millimeter lens that's designed to sit, sit on four by five, and put that onto a eight by ten. You're just going to end up yes. with huge vignetting. Um, yeah. And uh, so the the question being is, well, to me, is this if the if a lens is working on four by five and it's working on five by seven, it could be that. And it's 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 almost certainly a case of that lens belongs on this on the smaller camera but technically i mean it could mm-hmm. actually be it, it actually belonged on this on the five by seven and and you can move it down and use it um yeah. but the chances are the image circle that's been projected by that 150 mil lens is large enough to actually cover five by seven but i would ask i would question whether or not well just how big that image circle is how dark the edges are potentially getting with that and yeah. certainly it would uh, it would be handicapped if you wanted to do any kind of movement so you might yes. get away with a little bit of front tilt but anything mm-hmm. more than that you're going to start losing the projected image you, so. you might be okay yeah. just shooting close up so might you because with the yeah yeah the focus image, closer and your focus, image circle with gets the, bigger with the bellows extended further yeah. the image circle that you're projecting back onto the film is bigger so you're less of a problem if if all you want to do is photograph things on your desk, you know. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I saw this question earlier, and um, I probably two reasons. I, I looked this lens up real quick, got some specs on it, and it's a five six lens, which means first of all it's fast for a two ten, which would account for some of its size, and it also has a very large image circle. Um, I jotted down here what it was somewhere, and I can't find it right now. But it almost covers eight by ten, so five by seven easily, and four by five you can probably twist that thing up in knots and uh, <laughs> and then still get an image circle. Yeah, yeah. I've got a I've got a two ten five point six Schneider lens, and it is a it is a beast. Yeah, yeah. You know, part of it's the speed, and and part of it's the coverage. Mm. You need uh, generally larger elements like that to to project that larger image circle. Yeah. So that's why that one's big. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like with most things, Jess, it, it all depends. 
<laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. So uh, it's 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 dependent upon what the image circle that's that's projected. And uh, as we've talked about this in a previous episode, I'm not sure if it was with Ben or with um, with Matt, uh, but the, the, you can find uh, data apparently on quite a lot of lenses, and uh, you can you can find out what the image circle is. So it gives you a bit of an idea about what. Uh, uh, system or rather what uh, format uh, that a lens is designed for so um, if you if you're trying to get lenses that are going to cover four by five and five by seven then you know and you want the same lens to do both and you really you've got to be looking at lenses that will, which will cover the larger format so you're looking at you put it on if, the smaller one. if you take the so i'm just being a real idiot now so if you if you measure the distance and, and between the, the longest diagonal in the corners for an 8 by 10 size negative and whatever that is in millimeters or inches. Well, use Pythagorean theorem too, you know. Yeah. I'm glad we got Pythagoras in there somewhere. Your circle, your <laughs> yep. circle, when your lens is focused at infinity, has got to be, yeah. if, if you just want to have no movements, you, that, then you, you'll be happy if that circle is just covering that long diagonal yes. if you want yeah. movements then you want it a bit bigger when your lens is yeah. focused at infinity mm -hmm. yeah that's right isn't it yeah and actually with an 8 by 10 i actually jotted down the math here earlier today and you it's the diagonal is 12.8 inches so you need you at least a 12.8 inch image circle whatever that is in millimeters yeah, so, but that's just if you if you're happy with no movements at all or that's or right happy that's, with that's the, the absolute minimum to, mm. you have to get a usable image mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully, hopefully we've uh, gone some way to answer that question. And as we said, or thoroughly confuse him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe may, may so. Um, and uh, you can always use the uh, the conversation you've already started to uh, continue that conversation. Yeah. Um, and I, I just want to say, uh, and we've already uh, mentioned this. Uh, Monty Craig sent me uh, a. a a question and a supplementary part to that um and i think yes we'll we'll cover that in a in a in another episode now monty um because i think we are actually running a little bit short of time now because i know that uh and andrew has lots of things to do so i think um unless there's something that we want to specifically get off our chests i'm thinking about starting to bring things to a to a close yeah yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, I'm okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. Uh, let's just think. Uh, what do we normally do when we close the show? I've got down here <laughs> shout outs. That's a good and idea. Coffee. Yeah. Yes. Shout outs and coffee. I've, uh, so, uh, Wayne, have you got any shout outs you might want to give this week? Well, actually, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Well, uh, hi. <laughs> we don't count. <laughs> we're, we're here. That's right. Uh, yeah. Well, you've actually you've give a shout out to Steve Anchel and his book, The Darkroom Cookbook, didn't you? There you, there you go. There you go. Yeah, because you know where I live, and, and uh, my wife and I are fairly private people. We don't have any friends, uh, <laughs> and I know very few film photographers. Get off my land, uh, personally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm operating in a vacuum most of the time here. I don't have any interaction with other film photographers other than uh, Facebook groups. Uh, so as much as I'd like to, I don't have anyone to shout out to. <laughs> I, th I think that's, a one great, that's, that's one of the great things about Facebook groups. Uh, 
it was a yeah yeah we we I mean just normal film photographers are relatively spread thinly, but large format photographers yeah. are even further spread. So yes. it's a, it's a great mm -hmm. way for people to get together, and we wouldn't be talking to you now if it wasn't for for the these these groups. So yeah, uh, so mm -hmm. so uh, yeah. well done, well done to Facebook groups. That's our shout out for there. Uh, yes, there you um, go. <laughs> and, and and you're going to um, Wayne, you're going to somehow share with a Facebook group your little measuring technique, aren't you? I'll, I'll, I'll ponder that and see what I can put together. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think a, a little video cast of yourself explaining it yeah. uh, and using your best teaching method, you know. Yeah, sit down and shut up, right? That's it. It'll be good. It'll be great. That's, that's what it's all about. We like the idea of using the Facebook group as a continuation of the podcast and the two interact with each other. And, yeah. you know, if folks, if you've got any other supplementary questions to ask Wayne after this, just... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we've uh, thoroughly confused many people out there. So if they have no, any questions... Where, and if you want to know where I got my beer mat from, um, just yes. ask me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, and Andrew, have you got any shout-outs? Uh, only really to our dear friend on the Facebook group, Greg uh, Obst, who was... Um, in fact, I, I put two shout-outs out, or two requests out, earlier in the week to both Wayne and Greg, because I want to get them both on the show. And um, uh, and it, to be fair, we were going to have Greg, but you've made a brilliant guest, Wayne. <laughs> okay, but second, still second choice, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> it was whoever whoever we could get in first because we were okay. We were trying to get a guest on, him, and it um, yeah. so we couldn't do we couldn't do Greg when we wanted to, and. Yeah. Uh, but Greg, here's a, so everyone listening out there, just look up Greg's work. We'll have him on real soon. We haven't got a date yet, but we'll have him on real soon. So shout out to Greg. Okay. Well, yeah. in, in a number of fortnights from this day onward. Yeah. Um, um, well, I've I've got a, a quick shout out, and that's for Dave Varro. I think I think I'm saying your name uh, right, Dave, um, because he dropped a. Uh, post onto our facebook group which is the large format what's not called the it's large format photography podcast uh facebook group and he's dropped in there a uh devia 504 and an absolute shed load of kit uh that is uh is selling um so you can take a look at that whereabouts is he is he uk or in he's in the uk yeah mm -hmm. oh yeah 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 he's, he's in the uk in Link lincolnshire i believe oh um so uh and these so it's got a 504 he's got a load of lenses and it's got loads of other gear as well uh looks really nice and more to the point uh you can use facebook to contact him about that because uh his advert at least says it's open to offers so uh, that mm. might be a good way to engage with him outside of uh ebay yeah he's got uh he's got a couple of slot processors um he's got a rodagon 150 5.6 lens He's got something with a with a needle on it. I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, he's got a couple of boxes for soft um, mixing boxes for different sizes. Uh, got his yeah yeah. It's the dichromat head with the sort of rainbowy colours on the front, slightly cream coloured one. Yeah. Same one I have. Very, very impressive piece of kit so uh um, so i wish you luck with that one david uh, mm -hmm. dave um and uh last last thing from me is uh to thank 
those people that have donated to us uh, since last time we were we were on, and they are James Thorpe, Christopher J May, and Alex Purcell. Alex uh, dropped a. Uh, a donation on us this afternoon so uh th thank you alice alex you uh, alex is a new one isn't he? he he is he is takes a lot to get money out of a welshman so well done alex <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> and uh christopher left us a message uh saying uh, thoroughly enjoyable enjoyable episode with ethan uh thank you gentlemen for another enjoyable listen um see you in a fortnight um <laughs> so thank thank you again uh, no pressure then yeah, no that's it that's it yeah um so uh, that, that that's it for me any any last things before i completely wrap up no okay well, uh, nothing for me okay Wayne. well i just want to thank you for being a great guest um oh thanks for having me i enjoyed it oh it's it's, it's been great i have as as in every episode i've i've learned things and you've uh, you've tipped me over the edge as far as um having to go at doing some caffeinol yeah me too. Everything, yeah everything you said about it is just like ticking every box for me so Good. um really, really and you can drink it no <laughs> and uh and if my photographs don't look as good as yours then i'll be uh, i'll be getting it fixed with you. <laughs> we'll want to know why okay yes that would be the only reason why wouldn't it so uh, uh -huh. yeah um okay so um wayne outside of this podcast and uh and our our little facebook uh, group that we have where can people follow your work well i have uh my personal facebook page uh Wayne Setzer, and that'll get you there. I also have one that I uh, devote exclusively to the photography. That's uh, photographs by Wayne Setzer. But honestly, what's on there is on my personal site, too. But all I do on the personal site is photography. Every once in a while, it'll be something non-related, but either one. And then, like I said earlier, I just uh, joined Flickr a while back, and I have a lot of photographs there but I need to get busy and start adding some text to it and some explanations about everything. And that's where I'm at. And make sure if you're not already, cause I haven't been on to check, uh, make sure you're in our little group cause we have a large format photography podcast Flickr group, which has got. Do we? I didn't know about that. This is, this is news <laughs> to me. Oh, uh, do we? Oh, no, we don't. No, I've made that up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sign of things we, to come. I've made that up. I'm, I, must be, I must be thinking of some other podcast I do. <laughs> okay, just you can you can scrub that bit out of the recording. We do. No, not no, no it. it's we, in there now. You've got to go out and make it. Yeah. <laughs> dear, dear, what a numpty I am. Yeah. If you if you're into pinhole photography, we have a um, a lensless podcast. Nobody's into that. Flicker, no. Flicker group. <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry, we don't have one. No. So, um, well, on, on, on that subject, Andrew, how can, how can people follow you and uh, your, your other places and your other podcasts? You can find me on Flickr, but not in the large format photography podcast Flickr group. <laughs> uh, you, you, can, you can hook up with me on, uh, um, on, on, uh, on Facebook, mainly in the group. Um, that's the best place to, one of the best places to find me if you're a Twittery person. You can find me under... <laughs> At Warboy Snapper, which is my general sort of Twitter place, or you can find me under the guise of the Lensler. Oh shit! Sorry, <laughs> the large format <laughs> photography podcast. Uh, no, I'm going nuts, aren't I? We don't have one of those either, do we? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm confusing the heck out of people. Just find me as Warboy Snapper. We we don't have a Twitter account with. No, we don't. 
No, not not, not specifically. We we just we just Instagram. do stuff on, under our own names, don't we? We do. Yes, Warboy Snapper on Instagram and Twitter. Yes, and the Large Format Photography Podcast Facebook group. And uh, you can get in touch with us um, you know, directly in the in the Facebook group. Uh, but we also have an email address, uh, which is uh, sorry, it's a long one, but there you go. It, it does what it says on the tin, which is Large Format Photography Podcast at gmail.com so mm. if you have any uh, questions you want the want us to talk about on the show that's that's a probably the best place actually to um to send information to us um i've got a website which is not in the slightest bit large format related which is uh, simon forster photographic.co.uk where i sell lens adapters and uh, occasionally uh, some other bits and bobs i also have an ebay uh, shop where I'm selling lenses and all sorts of accessories and things like that. So if you do a search for it's Fozzy, that's I T S F O Z Z Y. Uh, that's on eBay.co.uk. Um, but you don't else? sell any large format stuff there, do you? No, because you every time it? I pick something up, it stays. <laughs> <laughs> you you pick up a little baby large format camera. Uh, Is that one? Well, yeah, but I, that's. Uh, that's still in use. And actually, I've got a, that's a good point, actually. I just need to thank uh, Nick Lyle of the Homemade um, Camera Podcast of helping me to get a, uh, a Mamaya RB67 back onto ah. my baby speed graphic. Um, so we, we chatted through, and I was, it, it sort of almost fitted. And uh, while I was chatting to him, it, it clicked. Um, quite literally, uh, because I found out that I just needed to remove the dark slide out a little bit, and then that allowed it to actually sit properly uh, on on the camera. So uh, I will actually start to have a go with that baby that baby graphic uh, at mm. some point. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm sure there's something else. Uh, yeah, if you if you do wish coffee. to, oh, you, you thank coffee people. I, yeah, but I didn't actually say how how people could could donate to us, um, okay. and that's. Uh, uh, there's a site called coffee.com that's ko-fi.com and if you do a search for large format photography podcast uh, you will you will find our page and if you wish to um, you can help us out so uh, it'd be great if you can don't worry if you can't uh, well, people people can also find you on another podcast as well can't they 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 can and and uh, i think the last two weeks i've completely forgotten to mention that i'm available on this one so i feel almost bad for saying that <laughs> Um, I, I do another podcast called the Classic Lenses Podcast, um, and uh, and well, you can you can find that just by googling Classic Lenses Podcast. So um, yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, that's it. So thank you again, Wayne. Uh, it's been great. Yeah, thank you. you with us. You're welcome. And uh, so ooh, one one more credit to give, and that's to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech dot uh, com. Who supplies our music, which is two finger, two, two finger, two 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 finger Johnny uh, is the uh, the music that we use, um, and it's excellent music, and uh, it's been proven that it's a great uh, theme tune because we had a poll on we it. We did, and, we uh, did the market research. It did. Yeah. Yar, yar boo sucks to anybody who doesn't like it. That's what we say. <laughs> exactly. So uh, on on that note, um, I hope you've enjoyed uh, the podcast this week, and uh, it'd be great if you can join us again in a fortnight. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. I had a right senior moment there when I was trying to. <laughs> I, I, invent, I invented a. I invented a Twitter account that we didn't have, and I invented a Flickr account that we didn't have. Yeah. 
speaking of, of, of Twitter, uh, in in education, uh, the fad a couple of years ago was all about learning styles. Uh, we had to address everyone's individual learning styles, whether they're a visual or reading, writing or <laughs> kinesthetic or whatnot. And I came up with a new learning style, and I base it on Twitter. Yeah, 140 characters or what it was. Exactly, exactly. He said, this style, students can only comprehend information presented to them 140 characters at a time. Mm. It's 280 <laughs> and, now, though, isn't it? There's double. Oh, it's, I don't know. I, don't, I never use Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and I call that learning style the twits. Yeah. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> <laughs> 